0: All right, good morning. How y'all doing? I, I feel like we already had so much happen here in this place, and I'm um, just kind of like reeling from everything, and I, I love always love it when kids are up here, because you really never know what's going to happen, amen? And if, if, like, they got it all perfect, it would be horrible. I mean, you just like you want some kid looking. I like the one little boy over here, and he's waving at himself in the screen. He's looking at himself, and, and, uh, and then... Uh, our granddaughter in the first one was in the back, and I said, put her front and center, and she got up here, and she just <laughs> gave us the ugly mug a couple of times, then finally got smiling, and, you know, but it's just like, that's what church, It's what makes church fun. It, it's like real people in real settings just doing life together, and today I want to talk to you about, uh, about loving the house of God, about loving the house of God. You know, I could talk about loving Jesus, and that'll be a part of it, but I really want to just kind of focus in on loving the house of God. You know, throughout my life, I have uh, uh, pastored most of my life, and I've always heard people that say, well, you know, um, I really love Jesus, but I really don't like the church, or the church hurt me, and they kind of go through all these things. And I, I think both is true. I think there are times where church has been, um, is, unfortunately, have not been helpful in raising up people, and then on the other hand, uh, there have been people that have been harmful to the church. Um, Can you imagine this scene? Guy says to a girl, you know, I really love your face, but I don't like the rest of you. It's probably not the greatest pickup line known to man. Am I right, ladies? You know, I like the face, but everything else can go. But isn't that what people say when they say I love Jesus? but don't love the body. They look and they, they want to separate the two, but you can't separate the head from the body. You can't separate the life from Christ. And Jesus died to establish the church. You said, well, I've been hurt. I said, well, get over it. Who hadn't been hurt? Anybody here not been hurt by somebody, something? Amen? I mean, that things, those things happen in our life. What we have to do is we have to learn how to be a spiritual adult and move into real maturity. Terrible twos works when you're two. Did you catch the message on that one? As I was sitting down and I was thinking about church, and I love the big dysfunctional family called the church. We really are. I mean, if you stop and think about it, the only thing that can bring a crowd like this together has got to be Jesus, I mean, there's so much variety and so much. And you know, and, and sometimes people come to me and it's just like, and they've been coming to me every week for four years, telling me exactly the same thing. And I just wanna go, really? Come on. And I love that. I, I, I love the fact that we have the freedom to try to figure it out together. And you know, we got everything from soup to nuts here. Right? And That's just part of what it means to be the body of Christ, that we, we find a way to minister to one another, to help one another, to encourage one another, and to help us on that journey called life to get to the place where God wants us to be in our life. I sat down I began to, to write this down, just what does it mean to love the house of God? And I wrote something, and, and I'm just going to read it. I don't normally read what I have, but I, I felt it was important for me to get it right and communicate what I wanted to say. So just give me a couple of minutes to read something to you. Stories are the purest forms of communication. They endure in a way that facts and information do not. Stories galvanize ideas and values. They embed themselves in our lives. We love to hear and we love to tell stories. They transcend the boundaries and they open doors. They always evoke emotion. They create movements of people and ideas, and they are the fabric of who we are as people. Our journey is a story of a people who set out to see the hand of God, to never be satisfied with the routine. Ours is the pursuit of the pure, the simple, the gospel of the kingdom. From the beginning, we felt that it was possible and necessary to wed both the spirit of God and the word of God to challenge both the mind and the heart, to create a place of community that would satisfy our heart's desire for community. We haven't always got it right. Many times we had to go back to the drawing board, face our own deficiencies head on, to look into the mirror and go, you know, that one didn't work, you didn't get that right, and try to go back in the wisdom of God and make it right. We have pushed the faith envelope many times, sometimes to great success. At other times, we wondered why God didn't answer a prayer. Sometimes we push that faith envelope and realize that we were pushing not in faith, but just in desire, and we had to retool and reinvent where we were going. But we wanted to go in a place that faith would sustain us regardless of what we did. I know in my own life, I've rarely made a sizable step forward unless someone challenged me to do so. This week, I had an invitation from a 14-year-old boy to go to Chipotle. It doesn't get much better than that. And we sat down together and had Chipotle together, and as we talked, he said, uh, he began to tell me about what God, how God had spoken to him this last week at Wednesday night youth group. Tammy was speaking, and he challenged her. Uh, she challenged him in an area, and he he really rose to the occasion on that challenge. And he began to tell me about his hockey coach and how his hockey coach was not that easy to get along with, And but he really made him better at hockey. And I said, isn't it funny that the things and the, and the people that challenge us, it doesn't always feel good, but it always is good. The challenging, that, and, and Jesus made all these challenging comments in the Word of God. Think about how he challenged them. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to lay everything down and pick up your cross and follow me. He never made it easy, but he always made it appealing because you looked at your non-challenged world and you said, I want a challenge. I was made for something bigger and better than this right here. And when you take that challenge, it's amazing how God begins to just put pieces together. So today I want to challenge you to fall in love again with the church, to fall in love with the house of God. A couple of scriptures came to mind as I was thinking about this, Psalm 73 and verse 25. The psalmist wrote this, there is nothing I desire besides you. Can you imagine if that's your statement? Of all the things in life that I want, the one thing I want above everything else is you, oh God. And then when Jesus was writing to the church, not to an individual. He was writing to the church uh, of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He said, I've got something that we've got to deal with. I've got something against you. He said, you've left your first love. Think about that. He says, I want you to go back. Do you remember how you loved church? Do you remember how important that was in your life? Do you remember how important I was in your life? And then Jeremiah 2.5, God asked this question, What wrong did you find in me that you went far from me? When people walk away from God, they typically start with the church. I'm gonna walk away from the church because the church doesn't meet my need, but then they eventually don't know it, they're gonna walk away from God. And we always try to justify our walk with God and say, Well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's just the bare minimum. That's with a starting point. That's like Christianity 101 is I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. If you want to go beyond that, you go, I love the Lord God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He challenged us. He says, go back, look what I said, do what I said. So I just want to make three declarations right here at the beginning. The first one is this, I love church. I just love church. I really do. This time, about a year ago, uh, we had a Sunday off, Pastor Nate was preaching, and Tammy and I decided we'd go visit a local church around here and just kind of hang out and, you know, do a little staycation here. And uh, we decided, let's go over that church. So we're sitting in church. It's about halfway through, and I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I said, yeah, me too. And I said, let's get out of here. We got out of there, and we came over here. And I sat in the back. There were no seats. It was, you know, we had one service. We always have one service the last Sunday of the year. And, and we're sitting there, and I'm just, I'm just looking and go. I love my church. I just love being here. Wasn't anything wrong with the other church. Just wasn't my church. There's something about it. I love being the church. I love out there in the world and somehow I've got this message of God that I can share with other people and and I can pour into them. I, I, I love being the church. I love the shock on people's face when I'm engage in a conversation out there in the community or, or on an airplane or whatever and we, we dialogue for a while and then I drop the atomic bomb. Yeah, I'm a pastor. And they're sitting there, you can see them doing the inventory on how many times they cussed and used the Lord's name in vain. They're kind of running through their mind and then, then they start apologizing and go, hey, I ain't no priest. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear some dirty secrets but I ain't the priest, Okay. I ain't forgiving your sin. Only God can forgive your sin, so you know, all right? But I love being that church. I love being the instrument that brings people together with God and the heart. I love that. That's a privilege we have, every one of us in this room. I love going to church. I like walking in. I like just seeing it just the way it is. I I love being at church and and then, and then there's always, like, 20 people who won't leave. Like, just, like, at the end of the day, I just love that. And Mike Kelly, you know, Mike is uh, just such a great heart for God. And, and, and I said, Mike, why don't you just flick the lights off? He says, no, everybody here is enjoying their time. And I want to, it's part of my ministry is to let them enjoy their time here together. You know, I, amen. You know and, and and I don't know if Mike's an angel I, I kind of doubt it but sometimes he scares me a little bit. I mean, you know, I don't like this guy just like he's just so good and then Pastor Nate I I just kind of wait for him to break and get mad about something, you know, and I and I think, you know, sure enough, you know, if we just if we just grind him long enough, he'll break and we'll see an angry Pastor Nate and he just doesn't break. I just like, you know, real. And and people in our in our church I just love that dynamic that we have I love the fact that that Matt Pell has the guts to wear bears sweater and socks in church you know I, I just love that i I love the fact that we we have the freedom just to kind of be real to be the church to be people there's a scripture and I'm going to talk today about uh, the time when Mary breaks the alabaster box and she, she puts the oil on the feet of Jesus and then anoints his feet and, and then wipes it with her hair. But the scripture that's in there, I just want to begin with, and we'll come back to it, is John 12, 3. It says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Here she did, she, she broke this oil and the fragrance was so rich in that house that you could just smell the richness of of that oil, the fragrance in that house. And I love it when you come in here and you just feel the fragrance, you smell the fragrance of God, that you feel the presence of God and that, that may this house be always filled with the fragrance of God. May it never be filled with us. May it always be him. May we always look to him and say, fill this house. You see, the church is a symbol of God's presence. When you drive down a road, you see a church building. Even if it's empty and there's no one in there, or even if it's closed down and abandoned, in that community, it's a symbol of the presence of God. That's why in countries where churches have been, where Christianity has been illegal and the building is still there, the government will take steps to tear the building down, even though it hasn't been occupied sometimes for hundreds of years. Because it's still a symbol of the presence of God. And we love symbols and icons and, and those kind of things. We, we, we make them a part of our life. We recognize them on athletic wear. We recognize them in our world. We recognize them even on our arm. We tattoo things on our arm because symbols become important to us, and they, they tell a story. My daughter was in college. She wanted to get a tattoo, and I said, you can get all the tattoos you want, but you're paying college. She didn't get any tattoos until the day she graduated. Then she started. That's okay. You see, what, what I was able to do in that brief time, I was, I was able to shape her heart with money. Hey parents, have you figured out yet you can shape the hearts of your children when you control the money? So well, that sounds kind of low. No, it's it's legit. Right? Because what you have to do is you have to say there's some values I want you to consider because, by the way, I don't know if you know this yet, but you're not an adult until you're paying your own way. Come on now. And when you start paying your own way, you can make all the adult decisions you want. But until that time, I get to help shape the way you're going to look at life. And at this point, I mean, I don't know how many tattoos she's got, but she's got more than one. And that's okay. But you see, if we start looking and say, no, we have to shape children for the kingdom of God. We have to say, what can I do to help you to understand the value of the importance of God? Too many parents want to be buddies with their with their kids. They want to try to wear their clothes and do what they do. Hey, guess what? You will never be cool to your kids. You'll only be cool in your own mind to your kids. Right? You just turn, you just, by the time you're three years older than them, you know, if you're, if you're in peer level, three a person three years old, now, yeah, they're cool, but anything younger than that, that's not cool, and then parents are never cool, and if the parents do what you do, then they're never going to be cool. Be an adult. Shape the values of children for the kingdom of God. The symbol of the presence of God, but it's also a place for God's people. We need to assemble together. The Bible says don't neglect assembling together, even more when you see the day of Christ coming soon. Get together because we need one another. We need to encourage one another, minister to one another. We need to value one another, uplift one another in the kingdom. Church is also an expression of love. You know, when we're out here and we're collecting things for the Boys and Girls Club or whatever we're doing and and engage in all these different ministries, we are expressing love. We're saying we're not just about us. We're about the community we live in. We value the world that we live in. We value the people. Regardless what their faith is, we're going to value because you're a human being. And if we can make our city a better place, if we can make our community and our schools a better place, then we are, we are expressing the love of God wherever we go. And when the time comes when someone asks that critical question, and they will, tell me about why you do what you do. Tell me about this story. Then we get to, to, to bridge into that with the love of Christ. Let me take you to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says that Jesus came to Bethany, where, he had, uh, where Lazarus, who had been dead. Now look at that phrase. Lazarus, who had been dead. Do you realize what a game changer that is when you start conversations? See that guy over there? Dead four days. Now he's alive. You want to talk about a miracle? There's a miracle right there. And look what it says. I love this story whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him supper and Martha served, but Lazarus with one who sat at the table with him. Now think about this. If you're sitting at that table with Jesus, you're pretty consumed with Jesus, right? But you can't take your eyes off Lazarus. You're going, Jesus, I love you and I respect you, but I just, I gotta talk to Lazarus. Lazarus, what was it like to be dead? Lazarus, what did you see? What did you feel? Was it hard to come back? And you're consumed. He is a game changer at the table. And and then you look over and you know, and then at the same table there's a Jesus who raised him from the dead. And this is like an amazing moment in time, and, and Mary is sitting there, and she's taking all of this in. She's taking all the miracles in. And all of a sudden it hits her. I've got to do something for my Savior. She has with her, which would probably have been an inheritance, this this vase of precious oil that would be valued in today's dollars at $21,000. She takes it and she breaks it open and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus and then she takes her hair and begins to wipe down his feet and anoint his feet with this oil. And you can imagine, then the fragrance begins to fill the house. And you're looking at this sacrifice that you can't put it back in the bottle. It's gone. The entire value of $21,000 has been poured out on the ground for one purpose, to anoint Jesus. Because of the love she had for Jesus, she looked at Lazarus, she looked at Jesus, and her heart just melted because she was in the midst of this amazing moment in time at the same time. Judas said, could not the money have been given to the poor? But then it reveals more about it. It says he said this because he was a thief and he was stealing from the treasury. You know what I've noticed? The people who don't really get it, they always try to redirect the conversation away from them. What about you? What would you sacrifice for Jesus, Judas? Could that the money not have been given to the poor? I had a guy t- ask me one time, he said about, we were talking about generosity, and he said, well, that money ought to be given the poor. I said, well, tell me how much money you give to the poor on an annual basis. I mean, just round it up. He didn't say a word, you know why? I hadn't given him one penny you see, don't diffuse generosity. Ask yourself always, how do I become a generous person? How do I get used of God? Have you ever noticed that something's used, tends to lose its value in, the, in our economy, but in the kingdom of God it goes up? I got used. Well, in, by this economy or the economy of God, Jesus was used to the point of death. What about you? The church is a symbol of God's presence. You see, Jesus is present in his church. If you look at that little setting there where they're they're talking, they're dialoguing, and Mary's there, and Martha's there, and Lazarus is there, and others are there, and all of a sudden you realize Jesus is present, and that's what we always want is Jesus to be present in our world. You see, because Jesus changes the dynamic of the room. When you come into a building like this, when you want Jesus to be present, you want to sense the power and the spirit of God in the midst, amen? You don't want to be filled up with something other than that. You want him there. See, because the church is a place for God's people. I can tell you this. If, if I wrote it down and I, and I just chronicled it, I, I know I could build an amazing case for this because I've seen it so many years. People, the church is a spiritual covering for protection. And people that don't understand that and try to live outside of it, I I can chronicle people that live outside of the spiritual covering and people that live under the spiritual covering, and it's a world of difference. It's just an amazing difference. And and I can only tell you by experience of, of thousands of people over the years, thousands of people, that we need to be under the spiritual covering of the church, the body of Christ, where Christ is the head, where he walks in the midst of us. The church is a, is a place to shape generations. You know, when you see these little kids up here and, and you realize that it's just not about that, it's about more than that. It's, a, it's about changing lives and taking those kids and, and saying, how do we take this kid and turn them into a world changer? How do we take, you know, and every parent believes theirs is gonna be the one, amen? Hey, guess what, some of them are. Some of them really are. But they didn't get there by accident. They got there because you shaped their life. You poured into their life. You prayed for them. You guided them. You led them. I love the scripture in Isaiah 60, verse 22. It says, a little one shall become as a thousand. Just pick out any kid that was up here in your mind. Get Get a mental picture of it. Imagine that kid could multiply the efforts a thousand times over. That they could take what they've learned, what they've, what they've grown in, the faith they have, and it could multiply a thousand times over. That's what this scripture is. And a small one, a strong nation. Imagine that there's some nation builders in this place. Imagine there's some kids that are going to be in prominent places where they're going to be able to leverage their power, their authority, their expertise to make a nation Better. That's not hard to believe. It happens every day. It's just, I want to see it happen more and more here, amen? I want to see nation builders and people influencers come out of this house. I want to be able to look back one day and not take any credit and just say, no, it was here, it was in this place that somehow in that community, that village, that tribe, all of a sudden that kid got it. I don't know how he got it. He got it. I don't know how she got it, she got it. And now look what she's doing for the glory of God. Look how she's making a difference in the world. Look what her name is up there on the lights and she's saying it was all because of Jesus Christ and it was because of the shaping we did at an early age. And then look what it says. I love the last part of this verse. And I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. You know what God says? If you will take the steps to shape, I'll make it go faster. I'll speed it up. It might be that they just had what it take to to be in a predominant place like that, but guess what? I can make it go quicker. What might have taken five years, I can do in five minutes because I'll put my hand on it. If you'll do that, I'll put my hand on it and just wait and see what's gonna happen. You're gonna be surprised. You see, the church is to be an expression of love. Generosity displays God's goodness. It really does. When you're generous, People go, wow! You, how much, how much are you doing? I had a call from a church member, and he said, you know, I, I got to thinking. I've already given a bunch for the Boys and Girls Club, and I thought, you know, they got a skate park, and maybe I'll, I know a guy that makes custom skateboards. And I called him up, and and uh, he's going to make fifteen custom skateboards for the Boys and Girls Club. Now, if you've if you've bought a skateboard lately, you know, a custom skateboards not cheap. Why do you do that? It's an expression of God's love. Why skateboards? I don't know. Something in the the heart of of that man and that woman just was moved to do that. Randy Alcorn said this. If you pull out this little year in giving uh, booklet here, right on the inside, there's a quote there, and I'll just read it to you. It says, whenever we give our resources to further God's kingdom, we cast a ballot for Christ and against Satan, for heaven and against hell. I want to show you something. The story I've been reading, have you ever read the Bible and then you kind of, you've read the chapter a lot and you kind of know what's in that chapter and then you go back and reread it and you go, wow, I never saw that before. Anybody ever had that? As a pastor, I should not ever be able to have that happen, I but I do because the Bible's living, right? And he brings something out. I want to tell you what happened to the story right after that, that uh, anointing of Jesus' feet. This is found in John chapter 12. Listen to what it says. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, that is Lazarus and Jesus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, remember, these are the Jews who hadn't yet believed. But the chief priests, these are the religious people, they plotted, the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on the account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now, Lazarus dies once, and now there's a plot against him to kill him a second time. You know, I, I love the fact that Jesus messed up every funeral he ever attended, including his own. I wonder what would have happened if they'd have killed Lazarus. You know, Jesus. You know, let's just do it again. Let's just bring him back one more time. Amen. Let's just see what happens. I want you to know, every time your your dream dies, God says. I'd like to have another shot at that. I'd like to raise that dream up in your heart. I'd like to show you what I can do. I'd like to bring life to that situation because he's a God of miracles, amen? He's a God that just works miracles. I wrote some uh, things down after I read that, and i it's really an interesting thing. I, I picked up a piece of paper, didn't realize what it was, but this is a check stub from a vendor we use on our building. They don't go to our church at all, and we send our this has happened more than once now we send our payment in for the for the services they provide and then they write a check back for exactly the same amount and give it back to the church They don't even go to this church think about that so we're not going to take money from church we're going to give back to the church so I picked this up and I wrote on here, and here's what I wrote about this whole thing, but, but remember that the Jewish people, the, the religious leaders in that, they tried, they wanted to plot against Lazarus because he was, he'd been raised from the dead, and I wrote this, religion, even that believes the Bible, tries to kill miracles. When you're content without miracles, you are religious. I, I never wanna stop believing miracles, amen? Let me show you what a miracle is. This is a big miracle. I'm getting ready right up here. A tithe literally means 10%. I want to show you something. Here's how God works. 90% is greater than 100%. Now, if you're doing accounting, you say, no, it's not. But here's what the Bible says. God says when I honor him with this, he will take my 90 and he will make it go further if I held on to my 100. Hey, I'm a satisfied customer. I've tithed since the day I was saved. Never missed one tithe in my life. And that's not to brag. That is not mine anyway. That's his. See, the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's not my discretionary money. That's his. Anything I give above 10% is an offering unto the Lord. You want to see a miracle? I could tell you miracle story after miracle stories about people who started doing this and they found this to be true. And they couldn't explain it. They didn't know how to figure it out and and things began to happen. They go, how is this possible? How is this possible? I challenged a man one time to tithe and he came up to me and he brought me all of his books and he said, look, I can't afford to tithe. And he showed me everything and and I quietly said under my breath, you can't afford to tithe. And I said, I'll tell you what, you can't afford not to tithe because you're in bad shape. Not exactly encouraging words. And I said, I'll tell you what, you tithe for 90 days. If God doesn't bless you back, I personally, not the church, I personally will pay you back everything you tithe unto the Lord. Who do you think prayed harder? Amen? Hey, I was praying. God, come on. First day, first month went by, he came to me, he said, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. I'm praying harder. Come on, God. Second month, he said, got a little got a little glimpse here that there might be something on the horizon. I said, what's that? He said, well, the job that I wanna go into, he said, I've got an interview. And I said, that's great. I said, how many are other than the interviewing? 300. I said, 300? I'm going back to prayer. We get, we get 15 days left, nothing had happened. He called me up and he said, you're not gonna believe this, but I'm one of two to have the interview. Now I'm praying even more. I'm praying, first of all, because it's gonna bless his family, that better job. But I'm also praying, because I don't wanna have to pay this cat back. Let's just be honest, right? I said, well, tell me the situation. He said, well, I'm gonna have the interview and..." He called me up uh, about three days later, he had the interview, and he said, you're not gonna believe what happened. I sat down in the interview, and the woman looked at me, who was doing the interview, and she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? That's an HR no-no, in case you all don't know. That's why I'm not telling you the name of the company that did this. He said, yes, I am a Christian. I've been praying for this job. She said, I'm gonna give you the job. You both have equal qualification, but I wanna give it to a Christian. If you believe in coincidences, then that's one. But if you believe in God, you know that's one. That's a miracle of God. That just doesn't happen. He came back three or four years later, showed up at my door, he said, do you remember because he had to move out of town to take the job. Do you remember me? And I said, I, I, I do remember you. He said, I want you to keep telling my story because God is still blessing everything I do. Amen? All right. So the church is a redemptive plan for mankind. You realize that you and I have the opportunity to tell people about heaven and hell, life and death, joy, sadness, and to minister in the midst of all of that. I wanna have you uh, stand with me right now and I'm going to, um, I wrote this prophetic blessing and I, I wanna, I want us to recite this together. I wanna, you repeat after me. And as you repeat after me, I, I want you to take the words and I want you to say, let those be my words. Let me those be a declaration of faith for the kingdom. We saved the offering for the end because we felt like you needed and I needed an expression of what, how God moved our heart. So we're gonna take the offering um, and then we're gonna sing joy to the world together here as a closing and then we're gonna, do we have a live shot from the snowfield? by the way? I don't know if we have that or not, do we? Oh, here we go, look at this. Hey, how much fun is that, huh? All right, let's just keep that, that, that up for a bit. This is kind of fun, I saw a couple of kids get in a snowball fight at the last one. But um, let's, let's repeat after me. In Jesus' name, I acknowledge God's principle of sowing and reaping. My faith is multiplied and enriched through my personal generosity. God has opened the windows of heaven for me to receive a blessing beyond all that I could imagine. I expect that God will work miracles in my life. I will bless the work of the kingdom that in all ways I may be a blessing to others. Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you We praise you for this day. We thank you, God, that we get to support the work of the kingdom, that we get to engage in this life-giving opportunity to extend what we do here and wherever we go in Jesus' name.